We are in our series, Built to Last, and over the last several weeks, we've been giving you and considering these seven commitments that if you build these into your family, you will build a family that is built to last. And hopefully you've been tracking with us. If you haven't got the last couple of messages, I encourage you to go to our website and take those in. I think they'll be a real encouragement to you. Uh, but today we're just going to jump right out of the chute here and, and look at commitment number three. Okay, so I'm going to put that on the screen, and uh, let's read this out loud, nice and strong together. Here we go. Families that are built to last cultivate tender love. Families that are built to last, they cultivate tender love. Now, that word cultivate is pretty important. It means to cultivate the ground for a crop, or it can mean to cultivate or grow something like a relationship or a talent. Uh, this is a season when everybody's cultivating stuff, all right? I went to a nursery a couple of weeks ago, and man, the place was packed. Everybody's buying fertilizer and plants and flowers. They're getting into it. Some of you, you've been this week in cultivating your garden, your flower bed, your, your yard. You've been working hard at it, all right? And, uh, and, and some of you, you've got like the golden touch, right? You've got the green thumb. Everything you touch thrives, Right? Some of you have uh, the touch of death like I do, okay? <laughs> Everything I touch just withers instantly. And I'm not really sure why, but that's the way it is. But, but, you know, when you look at a plant like this, when you look at a flower like this one, you can say, well, you know, I kind of generally know what it takes to cultivate this plant, to help it to grow, kind of what it needs. But how do you cultivate love? How do you plant love? How do you water love? How do you grow love? How do you make love blossom and flourish in your home? How do you do that? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. All right, so once you get your Bible, once you open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and that's where we're going to be today. Title of the message is Cultivating Tender Love. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is often called the love chapter, and chances are good you probably have heard this passage at times, uh, probably during a wedding of some kind. But what you may not know is that these words were not originally intended for a couple at a wedding. These words were written to a church. The Apostle Paul was writing to this church at Corinth, and this church had a lot of problems, all right? They had a lot of issues. They were fighting one another. They were suing one another. They were constantly at odds with each other. And they had all kinds of bad stuff going on. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They were sleeping around. They had all kinds of problems. They were a hot mess, all right? And what Paul said is, listen, what you really need is to learn to love each other. That's what you really need. You need love in, in your church. Now, our families are a hot mess too. And uh, you don't have to dig very deep uh, to run into all kinds of dis dysfunction and, and disappointments and, and hurts and things like that in our homes. But I can tell you, no matter what your past is, no matter what you're dealing with right now, what we really need is to learn to love each other well. We need to learn to cultivate tender love in our homes. And so that's what, what the Apostle Paul is, is teaching us how to do uh, in this passage. So look, turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start at verse 1. And really what Paul starts off telling us is the importance of love. Before he gets into how to love, he's going to back up and just kind of set the stage by saying why love is so important. So let's look at it. 
1 Corinthians 13, beginning of verse 1. This is the word of God. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You know, we all want to be loved. We, we are hardwired for this. The way God made us, we long for deep connection. We want to love people deeply, and we want to be loved deeply. That's how God has wired us, with his need and capacity to love. And what Paul is saying here right off the bat is he's like, look, guys, if you don't have love, then nothing else really matters. In fact, you can look at it. He starts off and he says, listen, uh, no matter, nothing that you say matters if you don't have love. He said, you know, some of the people in the church were thinking that they could speak in, in, in a heavenly language. They could speak in a tongue that nobody could understand and, and then was super spiritual. And they said, listen, even if you can do that, if you don't have love in your heart, nobody's listening. Listen, you can say all the right things to your spouse. You can say all the right things to your children. But if they don't know that you love them, they're not listening to you. Nothing you say matters. It's all noise if you don't have love for them. He said nothing that you say matters. He also said nothing that you know matters. He said, man, if you could understand all mysteries of God, if you knew every prophecy, if you knew all the depths of the knowledge of God, I mean, if you knew everything spiritually there was to know, but if you don't have love, nobody cares. Listen, you can know all the right things. You can have degrees on your walls. You can have all the right answers to every problem. But if your family doesn't know that you love them, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And so it's, it all depends on love. Nothing you say matters, nothing that you really know matters. Look at it, he says nothing you really believe matters. He said you can have the faith to move mountains. You can have miracle working faith. Listen, you, you, can, you can know all the scriptures up and down. You can have markings all through your Bible. You can have perfect theology. But if your family doesn't know that you love them, if you've not been changed by Jesus to the point that you're becoming more and more loving and looking more and more like him, then it just doesn't matter. And then he kind of wraps it up. He says, nothing I give really matters. He said, you can give your body to be burned. You can be a martyr for the faith. You can give everything that you have. And he said, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. You are nothing. You've accomplished nothing. Listen, some of you are busting it every single week. I mean, you're working hard. You're putting in extra hours to give your kids and your family all the things you never had growing up. You want them to have the better house and the best car to drive and go to the best vacations. They have all these great things. But listen, if they don't know that you love them, then all those gifts are worthless. They don't want your gifts. They want you. They need to know that you 
love them. So right off the bat, Paul is just hammering on this. He's saying everything hinges on love. Love is so important. Nothing you do, nothing you say, nothing you can give matters if you don't have love. So basically what he's saying is the most important thing you can do in your family is cultivate this atmosphere of love. Listen, as your kids get older, little newsflash for younger parents, time out doesn't work. There's a, there's a shelf life on that, right? And then, then you get a little older, you know, grounding them doesn't work. You can take away the car. You can, you can start taking, you can strip their room of their furniture, make them sleep on the floor. You can do whatever you want to, but at a period of time, that doesn't work, especially as your kids get older and they become adults themselves. The greatest influence you have on your children is your love for them. That is what will move their heart. Do they know that you love them? So he says right off the bat, you know, this is the most important thing. So how do we cultivate tender love? That's what we are talking about here. And over the next couple of verses here, verses four through six, he's gonna use 14 verbs to describe uh, what love looks like. You know, um, but the first two are really key. The first two are very pivotal. You know, I, we kind of know what this plant needs to grow, at least to stay alive. Okay, it needs some sunlight. It needs some water. It needs good soil. Um, it needs air. Okay, so this is some of the basic fundamental stuff. We know what this thing needs. If you want to cultivate love in your family, there are two things you must give it. And it says it right here in verse four. Look at it. Love is patient and love is kind. Now stop right there. I want you to circle both those words. These are really key, pivotal words here. In fact, these are not descriptors as much as they're, they're active verbs. Love acts patiently. Love demonstrates kindness. That's really more how it should read. So what is, let's look at them both. The word patient there means long-suffering or it means long-tempered or I guess you could say you have a long fuse, right? That's, that's what the word means. It's, it's not a patience with events. It's more our circumstances, but more of a patience with people. And he said, if you really want to be loving, if you want to cultivate love, you must cultivate this action of patience. Now, what do I mean by patience? Patience is the willingness to be inconvenienced or even to be wronged and never retaliate. To be inconvenienced and even wronged, but still stay firmly committed to that relationship. It is an enduring patience. Now, in the time when Paul wrote this, this attitude of patience, even when you're wronged, or patience, even when you're inconvenienced, was not seen as a virtue. It was seen more as a weakness, right? Back in those days, if you were wronged, then you wronged them back. If you were hit, you hit them back harder. That's how you showed strength. And it was only in the coming of Christ that that virtue began to turn to be seen not as a weakness, but as a virtue or a strength. He said, patience, long-suffering, willingness to be inconvenienced, willingness to even be overlooked, willingness even to be wronged and still seem firmly committed is what love looks like. 
You know, we don't, we don't really like that either, right? We like the movies where the hero kind of takes it at the beginning until he finally can't take it anymore and he stands up and then the heads start rolling, right? That's the kind of movie we like, you know, give us vengeance. But that doesn't work in a marriage, right? That doesn't work with your children. That may be great on the movies, but that's not how love actually works, he said, love starts with patience. That's the way that God loves you. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You know, the way God loves you is God's patient with you. Aren't you glad for that? Somebody say, yeah, I'm glad for that, right? I'm glad for that. God's patient. He doesn't give us what we deserve. The hammer doesn't come down immediately. That God is long-suffering. He's patient. For some of you, you've been running from God a long time. You're still running from God. And over and over, he's been drawing you back. And over and over, he's been wooing you back. And you still run from him. But he's patient with you. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants everyone to turn in repentance and come to him and find life, right? That's how God loves you. And that's what love really looks like in your relationships. Love is patient. It doesn't fight back. The heads don't roll. You don't hit back harder. Love is patient. But then he also says that love is also kind. Now this word kindness here uh, doesn't just mean a, a great attitude, a sweet attitude, but it again is an action. It means to be, get this, it means to be useful. Uh, it means to be helpful. It means to serve somebody else. Just as patience will take just about anything, uh, uh, kindness will give just about uh, anything. It's to do something nice for someone else without expecting anything in return, to show acts of kindness. You know, parents, this is a great thing to instill in your kids, right? I mean, to teach them to do something nice for their brother or sister or for somebody else, and then say, man, that is a demonstration of kindness. By the way, these two words, patience and kindness, tend to go together. You see it here in 1 Corinthians 13, patient, this is what love looks like. Patience and kindness, not fighting back, instead moving forward to serve the other person. That's what love looks like. You see it again in Galatians 5 when the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and it goes on. See, this idea of loving others really comes out of the overflow of the Spirit of God working within you. Patience and kindness are the two sides of the one coin of love. This is how you demonstrate love. It's not just a date night every once in a while. It's not just a card on a special day. But real love is on a regular basis showing patience and grace and mercy with the other person. And then turning around and serving them and caring for them and putting their interest above your own. That's what love looks like. That is true love. Now, I, I talk to some couples a lot, and they'll say something like, well, you know, I, I just got to worry about me right now. I just got to think about me. I just got to work on me. I can't really worry about other people. I got to work on me. I'm not really sure where that comes from, but I do think that there is a, that is a natural feeling that says, I just really can't be other-centered because I need to focus on myself. 
And it's easy to get there, especially when you don't feel loved by other people. When you don't feel loved by your spouse, when you don't feel loved by your children or even your adult children, it's easy to kind of fall into that I gotta worry about me mode. But the call to love calls us out of that. The call to love is to be patient and kind and to focus on the other person. That's what love looks like. You know, most of you know that we have a new addition to our family, okay? Our youngest daughter, Abby, just had a baby girl about three, a little over three weeks ago. And so, so I'm, a, I'm a granddad, grandpa, the old guy. Uh, that's me, all right? Amen. That's awesome. And you know what? What's so cool? Yes, I've got scrolls of pictures, all right? If you want to see them, I, I'm happy to show you. Uh, but you know, one of the cool things that I didn't expect what I didn't expect was how sweet it is to see my daughter being a mom. Just, just to watch her nurture and care for this little one and just observe it. Um, in fact, I've learned a lot. I kind of forgot. I guess, you know, time kind of blocks stuff out of your mind, you know, when you had kids, what you had to go through. And now I've, I've kind of been reminded, you know, you got to feed these things every three hours. Did you know that? I mean, it's a lot. And there's a lot that goes into that. You know, the whole, lot of, uh, the whole feeding process, I'm not going to get into it, but there's a lot going into all that. And then there's like shift work. You know, you got you to shift, you know, in and out. And then, and then you got you to clean them and you got to feed them and then you got to change them. And then every three hours you're cleaning them and you're feeding them and changing them again. And, and it's all through the night, you know, and then the baby cries. And so you got you to walk the floor and you got you to figure all this stuff out. And, and I tell you, it's just a lot. There's a lot of giving out, a lot given out and not getting hardly anything back in return, all right? Not one time does this baby say, mom, you're doing a great job, <laughs> right? Not one time does this baby say, mom, you're really giving a lot to me. Why don't you just put me down and I'll just kind of handle it myself? No, they never do that. It's just give and give and you're patient and you're enduring and they're crying and you're walking and you're praying and you're serving, and you're nurturing. I mean, she said, you know, dad, that, uh, that, that, a lot of times mom will like, they get cavities, they, they can't even lose their hair because all the nutrients of their body is literally pouring out into this child. You're literally giving your, your nutrients to this child, just giving and not getting anything in return. And you know, when I, when I saw that, I said, you know what? That's what love looks like. It's giving, it's patience, it's long suffering. It's enduring, it's, it's taking, it's all about you and it's not about me. It is the epitome of selflessness. Now, what if we could love our children like that when they're middle schoolers and high schoolers? What if we could love our spouse like that? What if we could love our husband like that, our wife like that? That's what Paul is saying, is love. Love is patient and love is kind. In fact, Philippians says this very thing. Just listen to these words, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interest of others. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us, right? Jesus came to us. He put his own interests aside. He came down in human form. He walked this, this earth. He went to a cross for you. For you, he did that. That's a demonstration of love. So Paul is saying, if you really want to cultivate love, it starts with patience and kindness. 
Then Paul also warns us about things that can kill love. Just like a plant has to have all these things to grow, cause it to grow, there's some things that can cause a plant to die, right? There, there's certain chemicals that can do that. Neglect can do that. Too much sun can do that. Uh, bugs or other things like that can cause a plant to die. So he said, you got to avoid some things that are proven love killers. And he, lists, he actually lists them out here in, in verse, the end of verse four. Look at it with me. Here are the love killers, seven love killers. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude or self-seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. These are the love killers. These are the little insects that eat away at love in your home. These are, these are the, the scorching uh, sunlight that can burn up and, and kill love. Now, we could go through each one of them. I'm not going to take time to go through each one of them. But if you kind of look at the common denominator of all these actions, at the, at the base of it all is selfishness. When you're boasting and you're prideful, and you won't humble yourself and say you're sorry, it's all about you. When you're irritable, rude, it's all about you. When you're jealous or envious, it's all about you. When you keep a record of, of all the wrongs they did to you and you'll, you'll, you can forgive, but you'll never forget, and then it's all about you. And listen, when it's all about you, there's no room for love. It just suffocates it. It just kills love. This is how love dies in a relationship. Paul Tripp, one of my favorite authors, he put it this way. I put the quote up here on the screen. He said, perhaps there's no more dangerous force in marriage than garden variety selfishness. It is toxic to your relationships. And selfishness comes out in these actions. Listen, if you, if you approach a relationship looking for what you can get out of it, you will never get out of it what you're looking for. You'll never get out of it what you're looking for. So let's just take a minute here and take a pop quiz. You always loved pop quizzes, right, at school? Then you love pop quiz? You're not going to have to take out a paper and put your name on the top right-hand corner, but I want you to take this little quiz in your own mind, okay? Here it is. Are you patient with your husband, with your wife, with your children? Do you look for ways to do acts of kindness and thoughtfulness without expecting anything in return? Do you get jealous or envious? Are you prideful and will never say you're sorry? Are you rude in your words or in your tone? Do you demand your own way? Are you grumpy and irritable or easygoing? Are you quick to forgive or do you often hold a grudge? You know, listen, we all have room to work when it comes to love. Would you agree with that? We all got a lot, lot to, to grow in this area. But, but I want to pass on something to you that I've been recently reminded of that has made a big difference in my life. The, the, the character of love, the depth of love that you cultivate in your home is not cultivated in the big moments of life. They're not cultivated in the one big vacation or the one anniversary a year. It's not cultivated in the big moments of life. The quality and the depth of your love in your relationship is made in the 1,000 little moments 
of your life. In the daily rhythms, the daily interactions, the daily things you do that show kindness in serving others and being thoughtful, of being patient and not reacting and showing and extending grace. These are the things that cultivate tender love. And if you can do those things every day, just like this plant, this plant needs daily attention. It needs a certain amount of water. It needs to be cultivated. It can't be ignored. Even if it's ignored, it will wilt and it will die. And the same thing is true with love. You've got to daily cultivate kindness and thoughtfulness. You've got to daily cultivate patience and grace. And you've got to stay away from the seven killers that will kill it. And if you do that every day, you're cultivating love that will eventually grow strong and put down roots that will last and blossom. And that's what you want. That's what we all want. And that's how love is done. You know, when I was a kid, we had peach trees in our backyard. And I can remember there were certain times of year that we would get those peaches out and we would have peaches in our ice cream. We'd have all kinds of, uh, we'd just enjoy the fruit of it. And listen, the tr- thing is same Same is true in your relationships. If you cultivate tender love every day, if you really work at it, cultivating this tender love, then you will enjoy the fruit of it. You'll enjoy the fruit of it long into your life because you've cultivated that tender love. You know, Paul really describes what that fruitful love looks like. Look at verse seven. He says, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. This kind of tender love never ends. Some versions say it never fails. This is the kind of love that will bear the monotony of life, (laughs) the daily grind with with deadlines and papers due and, and kids' events and all the things that you're going through right now, some of you are in that grind. It will endure that. It'll keep believing when things are dark and crisis comes. It will keep hoping when everyone thinks hope is gone. And it will endure. It will last a lifetime. But you've got to cultivate this or it will fade. So how are you doing in cultivating tender love? You know, this week I was thinking about this and I was just in my my daily reading and I came across Psalm 103, which is one of my favorite Psalms. And these words, as I read them, just jumped off the page. And I thought, I've got to share it with you. It's just a perfect reminder of God's love. Psalm 103 verse eight says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. I love that. It says, God, listen to what God is like. He is compassionate, and he extends grace, and he's patient, and, uh, and he doesn't overreact, and he's, and he's abounding, he's overflowing with love for you. In fact, if you really want to know how much God loves you, then just go outside tonight, stand on your driveway and look up and try to find the furthest star you can find. And the distance between you and that star, which is probably light years away, cannot contain the love of God for you. It's hard to fathom that, how much God loves you. And listen, when we come to understand that we can receive the love of God, Only then can we really overflow the love of God to our families around us. 
You see, if, if love is drying up in your relationships this way, then maybe love is not flowing this way. And so you've got to receive God's love so that you can begin to show it to others. It's the only way it works. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came so you can understand and experience God's love and you could show it to your family. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. Maybe today you're, you're taking a good look at love in your home and maybe you're, if love in your home was a plant, some of your plants may be wilting. Some of your plants may be thriving. But whatever the condition, you can begin today to cultivate tender love. It's never too late. It's never too late. Every day is new. And you can begin now to cultivate tender love to be patient and gracious, long-suffering, enduring inconvenience and even mistreatment. And you can begin to demonstrate kindness. And goodness and love and thoughtfulness to the people in your life. But really all that comes out of your relationship with God. You know the Bible says that you were created to know God in a deep and personal way. But we have sinned against God. We have gone our own way. And because of that, sin separates us from God. And sin also begins to separate us from each other. In fact, that's what causes us to tumble into these seven love killers. is our own sinful, selfish heart. And the only antidote for that selfishness is the grace of God. In our waywardness, God sent his only son Jesus to this earth and Jesus came and lived a perfect life and he showed us what love looks like. He demonstrated what love looks like. Romans tells us God demonstrated his love toward us in this. While we were still sinners Christ died for us. That's the perfect picture of love. His patience and his kindness to bear our sin on the cross. God loved you so much that he died on the cross for you. The Bible says he was buried and three days later he rose again from the dead and he offers new life and forgiveness and a new start to anyone who will turn to him in saving faith. And listen, for some of you who've been running from God a long time, but today's your day to stop running. Today's your day to turn to Jesus. Say, Lord, I need to receive your love so that I can extend your love. That's the only way that the pain of the past is going to get healed. That's the only way that the, that the destructive patterns of our family are going to be turned around. God, I need you to start with me. So I'm going to say a simple prayer of faith here in just a minute. And you may be here and you're unsure of your walk with God. You're unsure if you've ever given your life to Christ. Then you can be sure today. I want to give you a chance to leave here knowing for sure that you're right with God. And so I'm going to ask you in just a minute to lift up your hand. And when you lift your hand, basically you're saying, is pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. I want to give my life to Christ. I want Christ to forgive me and to leave my life. And if you do that, then I won't call you out, but I'll right where you are. I'll just lead you in a simple prayer to receive Jesus and allow his love to pour into your heart. 
and then change you from the inside out. So if you're here today and you need Christ, I want you right now, just lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. Just lift it up where I can see it. Pastor, I just need Jesus. I need Christ in my life. Pray for me. All right, thank you. Pray for me, all right. All right, anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I just need Christ in my life. Okay, all right. Can you put your hand down now? Just pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. And I know I've gone my own way. But I believe you died on a cross for me. And I believe you rose again from the dead. And so I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Please make me a new person. Today I choose to follow you all the days of my life. And Lord, I I just thank you for everyone in this room. I thank you for all the moms here. Thank you for all the families that are represented. Lord, I pray that you would help us this week to really, to go to work, to roll up our sleeves and to cultivate tender love. Lord, for those that they feel like love is gone, Lord, I pray you'd bring it back to life again. Lord, I pray that you would pour your love in our hearts and that we learn to love our husband and love our wife or love our children, love our parents in the way you want us to. And Lord, I pray you would bring our love to blossom so that we can glorify you and make much of you in these days. Lord, we love you. We worship you now in Jesus' name.